The CBF Podcast Conversation is presented to you by Fuller Seminary. Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry offers a practice-focused theological education. Learn from Fuller's seasoned scholar practitioners with online classes and apply what you're learning to your own context. Whatever your ministry goals, Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry will help you take the next step in your vocation. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. That's fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work in renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. We are honored that you join us each week for Conversations That Matter. That's why in 2020, we've tried to pivot to make sure that we are covering the things that need to be talked about, like the plague of racism in America and how the church is responding to the COVID-19 crisis. We're also coming up on our 150th episode, which would not be possible without listeners like you engaging each week in the conversation. Don't forget that you can be a part of supporting the podcast while receiving some great benefits, such as joining an interview with an upcoming guest, books from authors interviewed, and a VIP experience at this summer's General Assembly. We want to thank William Johnson and Cindy Folendor for their monthly support of the podcast. Check out how you can support at cbf.net backslash podcast support. And now, on to our conversation. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Susan Sparks. Susan is a comedian, lawyer, senior pastor, and author. She now joins the rarefied class of three firsts. That's guests who've been on the podcast three times and more. Susan, thank you for joining the conversation. <laughs> Andy, thank you. It's my honor. A three for man. That's awesome. Yeah. You should have. I mean, I wish we could have bestowed that title on you well before this book that we're going to talk about today was printed because you could have put that under your credentials on the back page. I would most certainly have done that, maybe with a crown of some, you know, some kind of image like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. maybe I'll get them to reprint it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's uh, maybe with sparkles. I don't I, don't, I feel like I just have sparkles <laughs> around it too. Some glitter. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Yeah. Well, actually, even better. I mean, since we're going to go down this road, let's let it be printed in the ink so that when you scratch that specific area, there's a certain smell with it. <laughs> Okay, you know what? You're now my new book cover designer. So okay, all right, but but quick question: what like what would you want that smell to be? Um, um, potato chips and onion dip, that's, if possible. Okay. okay. <laughs> 
I would go like the weird smells that I really like are freshly cut grass and freshly laid okay. asphalt. There's something about the smell of fresh Ooh. asphalt. That... Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's good. Um, if I had to do a second, I'd say motor oil coming out of my motorcycle. Interesting. So something like that. Yeah. But I'd go with, I think the onion dip and chips really, we're going to stay there. Okay. All right. Well, say yeah. the yeah, last time. The last time we uh, we, we talked, uh, we sat down for an interview in Knoxville, Tennessee, and little did we know that there was a pandemic that was on deck warming up in the last few weeks of, of February. So a lot has changed in the last nine months. Uh, how are you? Well, you know, I, we're very blessed. That's really the short answer. I mean, the bottom line is we're healthy. Um, you know, our church is uh, solid. We've had about five people be ill with the uh, with COVID, a couple very seriously, but they're all, they all recovered. Um, you know, we're still able to broadcast and have a vibrant ministry online. And we're, you know, every day just all trying to chip in to figure out how to keep community in a, in a realistic and intimate way uh, while we're, you know, not on site together. So all in all, in the midst of this really horrifying pandemic, I, I'm very proud of our community and I think we're, I think we're okay. Well, I mean, I think overnight you became a televangelist like the rest of us, and it suits you. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, it was. I mean, I, you know, I wasn't selling like pieces of the True Cross. Although Stewardship Sunday is this Sunday, and if it doesn't go well, I might have to rethink. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. All of a sudden, I started kind of pulling back to my old Jim and Tammy Baker days from the PTL Club in Charlotte, thinking, all right, what, how, <laughs> how can I ramp this up in a in a meaningful, authentic way without getting you know, like without building a theme park. So good question. So, <laughs> so as you mentioned, you know, you're the pastor of Madison Avenue Baptist Church in New York City. You know, what's this experience been like for your congregation? I mean, obviously, very early on, New York City was kind of uh, the hub of COVID-19. Yeah. Uh, then y'all really led the way for the rest of the country. And now for y'all, like many other areas of the country, it's coming back with vengeance. So what's this been like for y'all? Yeah, it was terrifying, Andy, in the beginning, like for everyone. Else. But I think, as you said, because it hit New York so fast and first that no one else, you know, we were the ones kind of under the microscope at that point. And I remember, you know, I, I remember calling our deacons on a Wednesday that was early and it was March, I think. Uh, I can't remember exactly when we closed, but on Wednesday, uh, you know, Governor Cuomo was talking about doing a shutdown. So I called the deacons and I'm like, we really need to start thinking about how we're going to deal with this. And the next day they shut the city down. And so we had to, on a dime turn and try to figure out, you know, how do we do worship and how are we, are we going to bring any staff in? Is the building open? What do we tell our prisoners? Blah, blah, blah. And so it was head spinning. But then as the numbers started cranking up, it just got terrifying. We, you know, these images of the hospitals overflowing, you know, some of our a lot several of our folks are um, essential workers in healthcare, and you know we've got one person that's actually at Sloan Kettering doing the research for the um, vaccine and on the v- virus itself, and she was working around the clock, twenty four seven. So, yeah, and that it was just head spinning. And so, you know, in, as a pastor in that moment, because you can't hug somebody, you can't go to their house, you can't go to the hospital, you can't meet them in the park, you can't see people. How do you give comfort? And so we were really working very hard to try to bring it through those services, trying to come up with ways we could do virtual prayers online, gatherings online, 
bringing people together in some type of meaningful, comforting way that um, uh, made them feel like they weren't alone in this. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, I remember, you know, I'd go over to the sanctuary and I'd start to write and I'd just start crying. And, you know, I, part of it was uh, just feeling the pressure of trying to carry a community through this. And part of it was just raw fear. It was like, I don't even, I don't even know what to do with this. And our church is 170 years old. So I kept thinking, I kept looking on the wall at the, the guy, the minister who was the pastor during the 1917 pandemic, you know, and I almost was, uh, it was, you know, I'm not, I'm Baptist, so I certainly wouldn't, wasn't doing a seance, but if I could have, you know, I would have been like, what? I was trying to channel him and say, what happened? How do you do this? And then you think back in those days, they had no way to do any kind of virtual connection. So yeah, it was, it was a, it was a real head spinning time. For some reason, I just have in my mind, that if he all of a sudden started speaking back to you, it would be back like that speakeasy, like stereotypical <laughs> Hollywood, like New York accent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not even yeah, going yeah, to attempt it. You go ahead. Okay. I started to, and then I'm glad you, you reined me in. No, that's probably good. <laughs> really good. Uh, that, you should not have a Southerner trying to do like Staten Island. It just is not good. Yeah. So I know this is hard to project, but you know, what do you think – the church is going to look like in the years to come as a result of this pandemic? That's such a great question, Andy. You know, actually, um, it's been kind of a, a, a real intense interest of mine for years before this about the digital development of church. And this has just put it in overdrive for us. And we, we were live streaming services, you know, for 10 years before this. But all of a sudden now we've got people beaming in, like I'm sure many of your folks listening, from all over the world, different time zones, different um, you know communities, different countries, different cultures, and they want to be a part. And all of a sudden, you've got to figure out how do you create meaningful community for someone in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. We have a gentleman that is consistently attending to our Bible study. He's in worship every Sunday. He reads scripture for us. He stays up to like, I don't even remember the time difference, but some ungodly hour in the wee hours of the morning to be able to watch live. He wants to join. He wants to be a member. He wants to be baptized. How does that work? So it's not just figuring out the Zoom platform. That's just the tip of the iceberg. What we're looking at now is long term, how do we meaningfully, meaningfully offer community to everyone truly who wants to come in the door? I mean, at this point in time, I wrote a note to our um, community uh, back in August saying, we've always thought of ourselves. We've always prided ourselves as this historic, long-standing community for 170 years, you know, on Madison Avenue and 31st Street and this gorgeous sanctuary, these, you know, uh, museum quality stained glass windows and all this stuff. And we've always thought of ourselves as a physical presence with a digital imprint. But that's going to switch if it's not already switched. It's starting now, and I would project within the next five years, maybe a little longer, but we will become a digital presence with a physical imprint. This, every bit of that emphasis has got to go to the cloud. So whatever we offer online, I mean, whatever we offer on site has to be available at at least the equal quality online. And that's a huge undertaking, but I think that's the most important thing we can do. So that's where I'm hopeful that Madison's going to find itself in the next five to 10 years is a, a digital church with a physical imprint. 
so that anyone that comes in can come in and enjoy the ministries, the fellowship, the community, um, the educational opportunities, the worship opportunities, the liturgy opportunities that people right here in New York City do. This CBF podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the Center, we help lay leaders, clergy, and congregations find ways to thrive in the midst of change. Our experience in highly trained consultants and coaches don't prescribe one-size-fits-all solutions. Instead, we work alongside you and take your unique congregation and ministry context seriously. We believe the wisdom for thriving comes from the leadership of the Spirit. We help create the spaces for congregations to hear and recognize that God-given wisdom. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and find the help you need in order to thrive in ministry. So earlier this year, you released a new book, Miracle on 31st Street, Christmas Cheer Every Day of the Year, Grinch to Gratitude in 26 Days. This book invites (laughs) readers to, yes, see the challenging situations we face each day, but recognize the everyday miracles at work in our life. You wrote, miraculous things happen when we make room. To be clear, um, you did not write this book in response to the pandemic because we were discussing it back in February before COVID was a biological twinkle uh, in our eye. Um, So where did the concept of this book, how was that formed? Where did that come from? Okay. Um, A few years back, I did a preaching series, a week-long Christmas in July preaching series at the Chautauqua Institution in upstate New York. And um, it was really fun. I think it was something extraordinarily different than they had done in the past. And I think everybody was kind of holding their breath thinking, is this going to be um, the wackiest thing that's ever been done here? And will people, you know, walk out? And, you know, lo and behold, people seem to love it. And Christmas in July itself is not new, but the idea of doing an entire week of it can be a little overwhelming. But after I realized the reaction of people's people to that week, I thought, I, it dawned on me that people are so starved for joy and hope, even in the middle of August, even in the middle of July, whenever it is, it doesn't matter. And perhaps I would take that seven sermon series and craft a book out of it that could be used, sure, at Advent as an Advent devotional, but perhaps more importantly, as an evergreen piece, as I'd like to call it, that if you need joy, if you're feeling down, if you find that hope is just not on the horizon right now, then you just designate 26 days and commit to every day reading a little piece out of this book. And by the end of it, uh, you know, my kind of tongue in cheek guarantee is you'll go from Grinch to Gratitude. Because in the book, it tracks the peace, hope, love, joy of Advent. And each day has a little meditation that, you know, starts out light, but then ends up with a a fairly substantive takeaway on each of these themes, things that you can apply in practical life, things that will make you think, laugh, lift you up. And over that month's time, almost a habit becomes forming where you start to think about what you're grateful for. You start to think about what's good in your life. You start to think about and see hope and see things in life that are possibilities as opposed to obstacles. So that's where the book was born. It was from Chautauqua, but it was, and it was intended and still is as a book that, you know, certainly is used at Christmas, but can be pulled off the shelf anytime you need it. I can almost guarantee that if you said Chautauqua, uh, four times too fast, you would get yourself in a lot of trouble. Um, you would, and I don't, yeah, because you said you'd beat me if I said any four-letter words, so I, yeah, <laughs> I'm not even going to try it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, let's be clear to the audience that uh, there was no physical threat that was made. In fact, the last <laughs> time that Susan and I were together at Church Works, she actually <laughs> punched me in the face and said, uh, if you ever, ever do anything against me, I will take care of your family uh, in worse ways yeah. than so. All right. So what, yeah. what is so, it about? Well, it's true. I mean, I live next door to Jersey. Hey, what can I say? You know, so <laughs> yes. I got friends. So just, yeah. you know, beware. I believe the phrase you used was, you'll be swimming with the fishes. So, <laughs> Luca, <Yeah>. Andy Luca. <laughs> so what is it about Christmas that, that makes everything seem right? My, my family actually um, had the house decorated for Christmas uh, since the day after Halloween. And I'm pretty sure my <laughs> wife uh, could, she could put Buddy the Elf on notice as loving all things Christmas. You know, at the same time, <laughs> You know, we we really uh, are we intended to live with such seasonal joy every single day of our life, or, or should there be should there be cycles of something different in our life? Well, I think that's a good point, Andy. I mean, certainly there. You know, in order to to see um, and experience joy, you have to know. You know, you have to know what do we talk about at Easter? You have to know the pain of Good Friday to know the joy of Easter. Um, but I also think that the world takes care of that for us. I don't think that, you know, to celebrate Christmas every day is a problem because we're going to wake up with the opposite. It's always going to be put in our face, the problems, the pain, the loss. And so to me, this is almost just, um, it's almost a, the, it's a bulwark against it. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a, our shield of armor. It's a protection that we can carry with us all the time to, um, stand up to the, the normalcy of pain that gets presented to us every day. Um, you wrote, we all need to find that place every day where we are bombarded by the corrosive voices from the world outside and from inside our own hearts. We are assaulted by words that slowly tear us down, shrink us in shame and make us feel less than a beloved child of God that we are. And we need to find the place called grace. You know, anyone listening mm. to this that has lost a job, have had their kids doing virtual school from home or facing mounting bills, uh, lost a loved one to this virus can attest to to what you're writing. And, and anyone who's just experienced life in general can as well. So how do people find this place right now? Yeah, that's such a great question. I think, you know, personally, everyone has that, um, that place of comfort that they've created or that, that they should create in their lives. And you know, on a kind of day-to-day -day level, it might be, you know, literally a place in your house that you can breathe and you can find a little bit of solace. It might be a, you know, a big warm blanket. It might be, um, you know, comfort food. It might be spending time with loved ones in some way. Um, but what I talk about in the book to me is the power that underpins all of that. And that's really the prayer of tapping back into the ultimate place of of comfort in our lives, which is God. And I suggest actually in the book that we go after God through scripture and prayer. And I tell a story about my grandmother, whose name was Grace, actually. She was this really kind of squishy, grandmother-y type uh, little lady down in Gaffney, South Carolina. And, you know, when you hug her, you were just like in a big, gigantic feather pillow. And we all kind of know that feeling. We've had either grandparents or and somebody that we've known like that, that just gives you a hug and you just feel so safe. And she used to, um, not that I was spoiled, but she would, she knew I loved the insides of the pies that the AMP store sold. So she would rip off the pastry and she'd feed me the little insides, the apple and the cherry 
again, not spoiled. But I thought about grace and how you define grace. And to me, you know, there's, you know, Augustine, every other theologian in the, the history of Christianity has come down with these lofty ideas of what grace is. And they're, I'm not saying they're wrong, but I need something a little more practical. And I think of her. I think of grace sparks as my idea of grace. It's a place that makes you feel safe. It's a place that makes you feel like you're eating the insides of a tiny apple or cherry pie. It makes you feel like that you're loved. And so I put together what I call my kind of grace sparks squishy scripture collection, which is all, you know, 15 or 20 scriptures that make you feel like you're in that big kind of comforting hug. And they're in the book. And sometimes you just have to stop your life and take five minutes and read, not maybe all 20, but pick some of your favorite squishy scriptures and read them and remind yourself that you are loved and you are worthy and and you are God's. And I think that's really, to me, at least I can only speak from my own heart. That's been the key for me to get through this pandemic every day. You know, some days you feel strong, you can conquer the world. Some days you wake up and you're like, I cannot get out from under the covers. And it's especially those days that you've got to find help. And yes, it's lovely to have, you know, a partner or spouse or friends or, you know, things on this earth that can help you out of bed, but that only goes so far. And so I think you got to tap back into the ultimate source of grace. And in my mind, um, that's something that uh, reminds me of feeling loved and wanted by my grandmother. Um, I'm no Grinch or Ebenezer, especially when it comes to Christmas. Uh, however, I do have a twinge of cynicism and sarcasm in me. Um, everything happening in our world right now can make us feel that way. And yet yeah. we're called to joy and hope. Where are you finding joy and hope right now? Mm. Well, I'm doing an awful lot of binge washing on Netflix. There's joy to be had there. Um, but I think you were probably angling for a little deeper answer. Um, <laughs> I'm actually, you know what I'm finding, Joy, Andy, is uh, we have a prayer check-in on Wednesdays at noon. And people come in, all different walks of life, all over the different, not just New York, but different areas. And it's literally 15 minutes. Everybody says what's going on, and then there's a prayer, and then we're done. And it started out just very, you know, oh, okay, today I made some cookies and let's say a prayer we're in. But now it's become this really intimate, raw space where people come in and share the depths of pain and loss. And again, within a 15 or 20 minute, people come in with everything from, you know, losing a loved one to facing a divorce to, you know, a cancer diagnosis to, you know, a COVID diagnosis to depression to everything. and in that 15 minutes and 20 minutes, there always seems to be this magic sense of joy and hope given by the community of people on that phone. And it's like a little microcosm. It's like a little test tube of what is possible in life if you give the power of, of your heart over to um, hope, possibility, gratitude. And I'm not trying to sound like a Hallmark card, you know, with the whole gratitude thing, which is hot now. But the truth of the matter is, is when you watch it work, it works. And I think I every Wednesday look forward to that call because no matter what place I'm in, I watch the magic happen within this group of people and see how they lift each other up. And I think that's what's going on in a larger way, too, in our world in certain pockets. 
And in the other pockets where there's just nothing but shame and hatred and judgment, I think this could be possible. This could be possible. We've just got to keep putting one foot in front of the other. You're calling us to discover the everyday miracles in our lives and the people around us. Um, where are you seeing miracles in your life and your and the church you serve and the city you live? Probably through um, so much of it is the people who are on the front lines every day. We have a woman um, in our congregation who is one of the frontline nurses and you know, she just writes a little note every couple of days with stories about what go on, um, you know, whether it's them playing. They chose in the very beginning of this pandemic um, to play Here Comes the Sun in the hospital when a COVID patient was released. And just that, that that little choice of the music that's being played is such an uplifting sense of hope and a, a miracle in and of itself of, of how people find the ability to um, – I guess it's not only survive, but thrive, um, thrive emotionally within um, an environment that is otherwise full of death. We had a, I guess the other example that comes to mind immediately is um, back in December of last year, uh, we had a little baby be born and her name was Hope. Her parents had just moved to Seattle from our community and Hope was born with a severe, severe heart defect. And she had multiple open heart surgeries and then multiple hospitalizations. It was just on and on and on. And right at the height of the pandemic, which was, I guess, early April in New York City, her mom called me and she goes, you're not going to believe what happened. And I was so scared. I thought, oh, no. I said, what happened? What happened? And she said, baby Hope learned to laugh. And I was I, – I just gasped. In, I mean, in the middle of this pandemic, this little, like, five-month-old or whatever she was who had gone through hell and back and still was in the middle of hell, learned to laugh? I don't know. There was just something so poignant about that, that no matter what circumstance we're in, that there is some little spark of hope that we've all been given. And the world tries to beat it out of us, but it's still there. And just to see it come out so raw and so honest in a in an infant in the midst of this horrible pain in the world, the horrible pain in her life was just, I don't know, it just brought tears to my eyes. So, you know, everyday miracles, Andy, again, that may sound kind of cheesy to folks, but I believe in them. And I think if you look for them, they're there. And to see them, I don't know, lifts up our own hearts and helps us get through too. What's your hope for the book? I hope that, I hope that someone somewhere might listen to this podcast and just think I need something to I need something to lift my heart and just help me get through today not the next 10 years not the next 3 months just today and you know maybe they do maybe they find this book and you know what if somebody's listening right now let me just say this if somebody's listening and feels that way and wants to read this book email me my email. Can I give this for Andy? Is this okay? Yeah. I mean, this is starting to go down the road of televangelists here. I mean, you're making, making promises to <laughs> listeners. So. I know, but I just feel heated up. If somebody is really feeling down and wants this book and thinks that, you know, and wants to read just a little uplifting thing, um, I'd love for you to email me and I'll send you a copy. Just my gift for this holiday. Um, my email is rev, R-E-V-S-S-P-A-R-K-S at gmail.com. Um, don't send me spam. Don't ask me to, you know, 
send a piece of the true cross circling back to the beginning. But if you if you would like this book, I would, you know, and you think it can help, let me know. And I'd love to send you one. Um, and if you'll send me, uh, Susan, your credit card number, uh, expiration yes. date, three digits on the back, I'll make sure <laughs> all that's taken care of as well. You know, you know what, Andy, can we just rethink this last answer? Maybe that was really stupid. How about, can we ask that question again? <laughs> no, it's great. I think it's perfect. Uh, really? Okay. No, no, it's it's fantastic. So all right, I guess all my, right. my last question for you, because, you know, we've been talking about some heavy things, is um, what's, what's making a comedian laugh these days? <laughs> what is making a comedian laugh? I'll tell you exactly what's making a comedian laugh these days is um, – our attempts, and I say our, I'm on a comedy tour. Uh, as you know, we met last spring and had an interview with you. The Laugh and Peace comedy tour with Rabbi Bob Alper and Muslim comic Jabron Salim. And when COVID hit, obviously our live show stopped. But now we, we're, we've just done our first virtual show together. What? Um, I started to see a nightmare. It wasn't for the audience, but for the comedians, what a nightmare. Because everyone's muted. And it's on Zoom. So you hit a punchline and crickets. Like, we, actually, you don't even hear crickets. There's nothing coming back. And so, you know, you plot on through and you hit another punchline. Nada. And there's, in this particular gathering, there were so many people, which was awesome. But the little kind of windows that everybody's face was showing, you couldn't tell if they were laughing or not. And I happened to just focus on one woman who was clearly like writing her recipes down and putting her dress on a grocery list for Friday. So what's making me laugh as a comedian today is trying to be a comedian today because it, it is brutal. And I uh, finally just downloaded an app on my phone that has fake laughter, like a laugh track. And I use that. That's the only thing I can do. So yeah, that's our that's our pain today as comedians. And we're trying our best to work through it. The funny thing is I was talking to my wife um, in about preaching during this pandemic. And I said, you know, the hardest part is you just like, you obviously can't read people's faces. Uh, you know, we've been having in-person worship. You can't, you know, you can't see their face as they react to something you're saying. And I said, especially like yeah. sermon jokes, like you just can't tell if it's funny <laughs> or not. And her response was, well, your jokes are never funny. So, uh, <laughs> so there's that. That's not true, Andy, and that's just not true. But I would suggest, just as a backup, get yourself that laugh track app, just you know, to help out. You're just being pastoral, so. I'm trying. All right. If you <laughs> want to stay connected with Susan, you can follow her on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Uh, visit her website, SusanSparks.com. Go out and purchase Miracle on 31st Street, wherever books are sold. Uh, Susan, thank you for inviting us to discover everyday miracles in our lives and to be a part of creating them in the lives of the people around us. Andy, thank you so much. What an honor to be part of your podcast and be a, what was I, a threefer? A, a threefer. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you uh, hit it four times and you're going to be in rarefied territory i don't think anybody else has ever been Ooh. in that territory before wow what do i need to do i need to write another book or something or um just send me your yeah. uh, send me your credit card number and oh uh, right okay yeah, include right. the three digits on the back though that's important so. <laughs> no problem well that's it that's our conversation 
Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites, fuller.edu and healthychurch.org. Check out cbf.net for information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, chaplains, and much more. Oh, and uh, one more thing. I don't think we've mentioned it on the podcast before, but visit cbf.net backslash podcast support for ways that you can contribute to the CBF podcast conversations and get some pretty cool stuff in the